Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I'll bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast on this week's show. I am super excited to be joined once again by Hannah Donaldson. Hannah is the CEO and founder of Meet, a global life sciences services company, recruitment and talent organization that I interviewed originally in June 2021. At that point, Hannah had a business that was 135 staff after 12 years. She'd just launched new initiatives such as academy hiring models, and she predicted significant growth on the horizon. Now, what on reflection of the episode, I remember thinking a lot of the questions I asked Hannah didn't really get to the nitty-gritty of the detail, and her growth plans were significant and strategic, but there was no information. The reason of that for that was because she was going through an MBO transaction at the time and couldn't say anything really. Um, so in September last year, 21, a year ago to, to this day, she and well, the business announced that they'd been acquired, well, they'd had an investment, a 50% investment by North Edge, a mid-market private equity business who backed the buyout of Hannah and the original founding team um, to take the business to the next level. So it, the whole process began in 2018 and then really took over Hannah's life in that year of 2021 up until the until the, the closing of the transaction. We're talking about 60-hour weeks, working through the night um, whilst building a business and, and, and letting others run the business with a, with a year-old baby and a pandemic that you couldn't, I mean, the amount of things she went through in that year are, are incredible. But the point of transaction, the business had already grown to 160 heads. So she'd grown the business by, um, by 25 people in, in between the June and the September. And then now a year on, there are 230 people. So they've grown by a hundred people since I spoke to her 16 months ago. And they have the plan to grow with with another two two hundred or so hires over the next three to five years with the investment partner. So in this episode, we I wanted to break down firstly why there was a need for the MBO and for the PE backing, um, but also what that actually looked like from a transaction perspective, and how she managed to navigate that difficult, most complex situation, and then what does that mean in reality once it's been realised. What's the last year been like? How have things changed? So many recruitment leaders worry about investors and you know going from a privately owned business to having other people involved in decisions and wanting to you know having to report numbers and and effectively you know feeling like maybe you lose control. 
Hannah's had an amazing experience with North Edge and talks at length about the relationship and the fact that, you know, they've got it right so far and that she felt like the due diligence process meant that she picked the right partner, which was ultimately the most important thing. So this episode is going to give you a lot of practical information and insight into such a, a big MBO, but also the reality of working with PE firms as a result of, of a transaction like this. I loved it. Hannah is one of the most well-spoken, articulate, polished CEOs you could meet in the recruitment market globally. She's incredible. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to inspire and educate so many people that I'm so excited to release the episode. So without further ado, Hannah, welcome back to the RAG podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Not a problem. June 2021 Mm. to September 2022. How quick Mm -hmm. has that gone? I know, I know. Weird, isn't it? In some ways feels like a, a lifetime away and in some ways it feels like it was just yesterday. It's great, but time is flying for sure. Mental. I, I literally, I know everyone says it, but I do think this is the fastest year of my life. Like this yeah. is the one that I blink and, and it's just, yeah. are we in September and Q4 next month? I yeah. Mean, I do yeah. think we're just bouncing from like major event to major event yeah. as well at the moment, you know, be yeah, it yeah. obviously coming through COVID and then we've had a, a war to consider from a, you know, business and macro perspective and more recently the queen dying oh. and there's just all of these sort of major events. It just feels like bouncing from one to another. I know that's, and that's like on a, like global or, or mm-hmm. national scale. Yeah, yeah. Personally, I've had like in the last 12, since we spoke, I've left Manchester, moved to Sheffield. I've moved yeah. in with two kids. I've got engaged. I've been a best yeah. man last week at my business partner's wedding. I'm getting married next month. Every, I'm buying a house. I'm selling a house. <laughs> I just think the amount of things going on. The funny thing yeah. is, well, like, well, I wouldn't say it's funny, but last week I'm doing the best man speech for my business partner, right? And I'm, mm-hmm. we'd heard about the queen in the day that mm-hmm. she wasn't very well. Um, but again, no one really thought too much about it. We're mm. all in, Halfway through my speech, I just noticed everyone's on their phone. Everyone. And I'm like, <laughs> you I'm thought like, that they, you'd lost I'm the crowd. Like, I'm everyone. <laughs> and she, it, the, the news came halfway through uh, my speech that she died. Oh so as I come off, Thursday, I come off the stage, everyone was like, Queen's dead, Queen's dead. I was like, oh, yeah. Christ. And that, it's interesting because Amma was born on the 21st of April, 1986, which is 60 years after she was born. Right, the right. day, and then she died on his wedding day. I'm like, there's something, yeah, you know, a little bizarre, there. some sort of connection going on there. Mad. But you are right; <laughs> the, the world has gone mad, and it feels like the thing time's passing. But you know, you've had also a very mm. interesting. What do yeah. you call it? Like Sixteen months, sixteen, yeah, seventeen months, yeah. Um, so, Hannah, before we get into it, mm-hmm. for anyone who didn't listen to part one and doesn't know who you are, just yeah. recap who you are right now, like the overview of you and, and the business. Okay, so um, I'm uh, Hannah Donaldson. I'm in the process of changing my name. I actually got married before COVID, um, but never changed my name. And it's now honestly just getting silly. What will your (laughs) new name be? Mask Hague. So Hannah Hague, yeah. So I I, I sort of live with that name in my personal life. I've never changed it in work. Um, As I'll go on talk about, we, you know, completed a transaction. So everything in the back office of the business is in my married name. Everything in the front office is in my first. I turn up to hotels and flights and it's just ridiculous trying to masquerade as two people. So um, we're just in the process of formally changing everything. But yeah, so that's the quick potted history on my name. But um, (laughs) I... I founded Meet back in 2009, so started my career within the S3 group. Um, you know, what what I now know to be sort of 
entrepreneurial spirit and I've only recently become sort of a little bit more comfortable with that word entrepreneur Um, but you know I think what I now know as that definitely demonstrated itself in the period of time that I was in S3 and founded me in 2009 which is a um, people focused purpose focused so end market life sciences centric um, recruitment business Um, Fast forward many years, I took that business to the Americas, so 2015, and we scaled in Europe before moving out to the States. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a six-month stint um, in, or what I thought was going to be a six-month stint in New York. Six years later, I was brought back for various tax reasons, um, yeah, kicking and screaming. Um, But, you know, now I am um, CEO of... um, meet. Um, We are still a people-centric, life sciences-focused recruitment organization. Um, We're private equity-backed. We uh, completed on a transaction last year, so just after we went through this process yet, Mm -hmm. September the 3rd. So we've just uh, passed our sort of year anniversary of that transaction, um, and that's what I do now. Wow. So when we last spoke, your business was 135 people. Uh-huh. Okay. The headlines of the, of the episode were 12 years in, 135 staff. You just evolved an academy model. So you talked yep. about 14 new academy graduates mm-hmm. kicking off that month. Um, and you talked about a strategic growth plan. You were very, mm. very spoken um, <laughs> yeah. back cards on the, to the chest. I find oh. it awkward reading it, listen to it back now because it's just so much – I couldn't say. Yeah, you know, and I, I was didn't realize in that transaction process. Yeah, I, just, I, yeah. I, I didn't realize. I thought it was a great chat, but looking back now, I'm like, yeah, there was. I kept trying to get out of you, like, so where are you heading? It was very, mm. just very high level. So the news broke in in September mm-hmm. that you was it North Edge with a private yep. equity firm that invested in you guys and yep. and backed the MBO with you personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they announced in in the press release this was only three four months later after our mm-hmm. chat that you were 160 people so you'd grown yeah. by um, 25 in that in that short window now yeah. you're at 230 people yeah wow yeah. Like, you see, just that alone just if you, if you just we could speak about that alone for the next yeah hour. yeah but yeah so much gone into this that's um, it's incredible. We talk about yeah. growth on the show. That is serious, serious yeah. growth. And actually, I think it's quite interesting. If you break down those numbers and I look at the growth this year, so through 2022, yeah. Yeah. a big chunk of that growth has been in what we call the hub. And I think I talked about that last time. So we have scaled the Fierna group within the business across all of our different locations but actually the headcount that we've got in our back office so that's finance people learning and development marketing data insights a success function um so you know anything that basically is not frontline sales fee earning activities that's grown by nearly 100% as well so a wow. lot of that investment this year has actually gone into the sort of grounding of the business to create what, an environment what, how many people is that is that in the 230 how many people would oh. that be yeah, it's about 40, 45, 50 right. now yeah. um, of people, majority based in um, London, certainly from a finance perspective. We've mm-hmm. actually got, um, you know, one person who's potentially moving out to the States from the financial side, um, but spread right across all of the different offices now, again, from a sort of operations perspective as well. 20, 20% then of headcount roughly is is sat in the, in the back yeah. office. Right. 
you know, I think that's a good good level. Um, yeah. One... For a long, long time, we were very lean. You know, and I think we were lean, and I may have mentioned this last time, is that, you know, I'm a pretty operationally minded CEO. You know, I yeah. think there can be, to me, there's kind of two breeds of people. There's people who are just super entrepreneurial and are totally ideas centric oh, and actually right, don't yeah. necessarily translate that back into sort of operationally running a business whereas I would like to say say I have some of that skill in terms of being able to create vision and scale and um, create um, you know a plan in terms of longer term sustainability and strategy of the business but I actually have also been able to kind of execute that from an operational perspective yeah. as well but we definitely got to a point where I couldn't be and shouldn't be responsible for those sort of more operational responsibilities. So we've created an absolutely brilliant team of, um, you know, hub experts. You know, since we last spoke, we've hired Glenn, who was consulting yeah. with us to lead insights, success and marketing. Um, Claire, again, she was covering a mat leave. She leads our L&D process um, or L&D structure um, globally. Um, we've grown some really amazing organic talent there. So there's been some really, really significant changes in that back office or hub, as we like to call it. Amazing. I think, yeah, you, you know, I, I know some businesses that are larger in headcount with like five people in the back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it is chaos. crazy. I think, I think, you know, as the CEO of a much smaller business, but what we now have forty people. I'm, I'm definitely the the more of the ideas guy than. Yeah. Than, I mean, my business partner Amma is even though he's COO, we're kind of like co CEOs. Yeah. He's definitely more aligned to to being like you, I think. Yeah. Um, we kind of someone said to me like, you know, I'll be outside the window shouting out, and he'll be holding the belt, making sure I don't. Yeah. Fall. <laughs> <Good way laughs> you need that. that. You need yeah, that. Yeah, I definitely. Sure. That. I definitely yeah. that. I'm wasted in 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 other areas. Um. Yeah. So. I'd like to go back a little bit because mm-hmm. we couldn't couldn't talk about this last time. Yeah. Right? So where did this whole idea of, of, a, of, a, of a management buyout come from? Like, yeah. Take us to what point in the journey did, because I, I don't know, I can only compare to my experience. And I remember mm-hmm. when I, and I was nowhere near your level, didn't own the business, I was just a, just a manager, right? But I remember being on a journey with, with the previous organization and we were like two train tracks completely in parallel. Mm-hmm. for for four years maybe three to four years and then it just things started to veer and I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't pinpoint a moment but yeah for some reason what I wanted from my life and career and what they wanted from me wasn't didn't sound the same yeah and it, and it gradually got worse like it just got and that's mm-hmm. when obviously you know I, I parted ways with the business and mm-hmm. I see that consistently in, in other organizations so take us back to that journey for you and how did it how did it come to fruition Yeah. So I think most people that found or recruitment organizations, you know, there's sort of a well-known theory that you should always have an exit in mind and be working towards that exit as opposed to necessarily just, um, you know, carrying on and seeing what happens. There is that theory and that's, you know, in in many sort of high growth businesses. Um, I think when we started the business, there was always um, a discussion in terms of how we as the founders would realize our investment at some point in the future. And I think the reality is, is that the recruitment industry is amazing for being able to deliver really high growth businesses. You know, I think I feel really lucky that I found this industry because actually, if you look at lots of other career paths that friends and peers have gone down, your ability to actually be able to start, scale and 
benefit from an, a, a business is, is so much more within the recruitment industry. So yeah. there was always a sort of loose plan, I suppose, that we were scaling for the, a reason. Alistair as well. So there's three of us that started right. the business. So um, uh, again, we had that plan. We had a plan as, as to at some point, the likelihood is, is that we would all or some want to realize the investment in the business moving forwards. Yeah. Towards the sort of latter part of that, what, you know, 12 year journey when I spoke to you, I think it started to become increasingly clear that my vision and ambition for the business moving forwards in terms of actually longer term scale and taking market share and creating a best in class employer brand was just different to Paul's, who was the majority yeah. shareholder. Yeah. That doesn't say that that doesn't mean that it was right and wrong. It's no, just no. different, you know, yeah. and having different sort of views and ambitions. So, you know, really from 2018, I started working on the premise that an MBO was going to be the most likely outcome for the business. So management buyout, meaning that myself and my leadership team would take the business forward through continued period of growth and that Paul would exit. Um, and you know, and, and yeah. Do, do do something different and 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 go on a different life's experience really so um you know really from 2018 I would say that was when we sort of crystallized that plan and, and started working towards it we'll go into the the detail in a minute but what I'm really fascinated fascinated by is like why so yeah and I'm just talking to you here like why why do you see yourself running a business like this yeah. for, the, for the future because you like you say I don't I don't get the feeling you've put an exit on on for yourself just, no yeah. you know you're young yeah. you've got energy like yeah. but what is it for you that why don't why didn't you feel like actually you know I'm 10 12 years down the line I could realize the benefit and yeah. go and something else like tell us from your perspective what excites um, you about staying so in I suppose the, the the first thing is that I've got a really clear vision from a personal perspective in terms of what, of what I want to achieve. So right. as an individual, I want to have a fulfilling, um, professionally satisfying career, um, which is not at the cost of my family. It's quite a yeah. clear vision in terms of what I want to achieve. Um, I have utmost respect for people that are stay-at-home mums and do that. That's just not how I'm wired. It's not mm. what I want to do and how I see my life moving forwards. But ultimately, I wanted to make sure that I created an environment and a career path where I could have some semblance of balance between bringing up a young family and also, you know, creating a, um, you know, a career path and a, and a business journey that was really satisfying. And it became clear to me that actually running the business was super satisfying. You know, it's great in many ways to be a privately owned business that you are in total control of. And I think control is a really big subject in terms of, you know, entrepreneurs and founders looking at what their options are from a realization perspective. So I really enjoyed that, but actually became increasingly curious on what else there was from a business perspective that I could learn and experience. So, you know, the, 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 
again, going back to that 2018 period, there sort of was ongoing discussions in terms of what that MBO could look like. And it became quite clear to me that, um, you know, selling to a trade buyer, somebody that would acquire the business 100%, I would go on some sort of earn out, felt like for me, I was selling out too soon. You know, I love this business. I think that it's really high potential. I think it's really high performance. It doesn't mean that we're perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, we've created a business in a really buoyant um, market that doesn't have huge amounts of cyclicality, Mm. um, where we think a lot about the employer value proposition and the employer brand. Um, And I believed that we were really scratching the surface in terms of what's possible for the business, but also what the experience could be for me as chief exec as well. So that's what drove my ambition to really look into creating an MBO that meant that I could continue to realize my investment, but with not an end date in mind, really. It is fascinating that after 12 years, you still love it. Like you yeah. love the business, you love the job, you love the it's challenge. It's so different though. It's so yeah. different. You know, Even in the last year since I've spoken to you, my job as chief exec of a private equity backed high growth recruitment business is in totally different to what my job was 18 months ago, two years ago, when I was starting to run that MBO process. What I do on a day to day basis, the people I engage with, the conversations that I have, it's a real ongoing learning opportunity. So, yes, it's the same, but actually, it's not the same at all. You know, it's totally different as the business evolves. Right. So 2018, then you start to look at the the the, the reality of, of, of yeah. taking it. What did you do? How did you do it? So I needed to build a board that essentially I needed to surround myself with people that can make this happen. That was the sort of simplest way of looking at it. So in 2018, Steve, who's our CFO, joined the business. I'm pretty sure it was, it was late 2018. Um, he joined as a finance director. Um, you know, he'd work at the staff group um, uh, business beforehand um, and has been instrumental in creating that sort of MBO process moving forwards. Um, I've learned loads from him. We're a really great team in terms of running the business. And, you know, one thing I would say to any founder or entrepreneur that wants to go down a transaction or a process, you have to have a really brilliant finance person Mm. by your side. Because, um, you know, I'm I think I've got many strengths, but I'm certainly not an accountant. Mm -hmm. And I actually, you need somebody who can um, educate, support, and be able to have those conversations that as chief exec, you're just not capable of having, whilst also accepting that you need to upskill really quickly during that period. Um, I put a board board advisor into the business as well. So, you know, that was somebody who essentially supported that transition from a non-exec perspective of an owner-led business into a business that was ready for private equity investment and um, ability to be able to change yeah he's his background was private equity so Mm. um you know he'd actually been involved in the s3 group from an m&a perspective historically as well he was awesome for what we needed in that moment of time to sort of change the business so that private equity or other investors could look in and would see the things that they need to see in terms of giving them comfort and the stability and the growth opportunity within the business as well 
Um, in 2020, I brought Anton into the business. Um, so he's long-standing uh, recruitment leader, real expertise in contract growth, which is a big, significant sort of strategic uh, value uh, driver for us and continues to be moving forwards. So I sort of created a board that allowed me, put the people around me that meant that it was a reality to be able to go down that 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 MBO private equity investment process, um, you know, and grew the SLT predominantly organically. So, you know, they are people that run regions, high growth businesses, multi-million dollar um, and pound businesses now, um, and, you know, create that really united exec and senior leadership team, which again, if you look at what private equity look like, that's what they do. They're backing management teams, really. So I needed to make sure I had the best possible management team around me in order to, um, you know, create the reality of this MBO so that's a three-year process yeah yeah so three what year and a baby yeah, and oh, COVID wow. oh yeah, oh, yeah. And COVID. a few, th- a few things going on there but oh, yeah, yeah. Just, just, just knock out global <laughs> pandemic <laughs> um, so again you, you talk about the people around you yeah what what are the what did the business have to change over mm-hmm. that three years like what would the what would again again you can't go into everything but what do PE firms want to see that perhaps wasn't yeah. as easily accessible or evident in 2018? Like, what are the what are, what are the goals or milestones you and the team had to achieve, change you had to make to get to that point that you were ready for it? Um, I think operational stability is important. Right. You know, a business that's wholly dependent on one person will always make any investor, never mind um, whether it's private equity or venture capital or even a trade buyer moving forwards, you have to have a business that's not wholly dependent on one person from a business development or a client council or an operational perspective. So I think infrastructure where you could actually talk to real stability in the business was really important. And and were you in a position at at the beginning of that journey where perhaps... There was a few people that maybe were key man risks. Or... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we started the process, I had to continually answer questions as to whether this was the Hannah show. And that was the language that they used, really. Like, is it the Hannah show? Although I was actually committing to the journey moving forward, uh, obviously people wanted to have um, confidence that if I got hit by a bus tomorrow the business wouldn't dissolve you know because life things happen and um, you know creating like I said private equity in particular or mid-market private equity just really want to back management teams and yes as chief exec you're front and center of that process but it can't start and stop with you because what things were you doing in 2018 what things were you doing in 2018 that now no longer people other people do that that show that you've made that that evolution progression to yeah being less involved in everything well, I mean, <laughs> it's sort of a standing joke, really. But when we first went to America, I was basically like the financial controller for our American business. I mean, what a joke. I was doing payroll. Oh, I was wow. chasing debt. I was um, the liaison between the banks. I was looking at solutions in terms of factoring and invoice discounting. You know, 
I was that American business start were, yeah. to finish. So, you and know, you were actually, probably hiring recruiters and, and oversight of what they were like. Totally, the yeah. 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 Key point of contact for large scale clients, lots of, um, you know, client meetings and visits. You know, I was really operationally running the business with the support of a very great team. You know, mm. I it certainly wasn't on my own. No. But I was involved and central to pretty much all large scale decisions that went on across the business. Um, And that was where really bringing Steve into the business was a big one because um, I simply wasn't qualified to be a financial controller for American business. You know, I look back on that and I think as, again, an entrepreneur, a word I've become a little bit more comfortable with, you do what you've got to do. But often you're not the right person for the job and I certainly wasn't the right person to ensure that we had financial practices and a financial institution within the business that was bulletproof in terms of um, you know the stuff that drives business fundamentally which is cash collection and risk and compliance and that side of things so you know I suppose it was about putting the expertise in the business and then as chief exec you become over it all so you're aware of what's happening but you're not necessarily the person that is driving that at every turn I think that's the big shift how many people report to you or did report now, to you at the point of transaction uh, so a point of transaction it was not dissimilar to where it is at the moment yeah. essentially so our board is Steve and Anton, we have investment directors from private equity on there as well. So they are my direct reporting what does line. What Steve do again? Is he finance? CFO. Yeah, CFO. yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're my op- CEO. Um, so, so he's global MD at the global moment, MD. but essentially yeah. his role is everything. He is uh, takes total responsibility and accountability of everything revenue centric right. within the business. Um, so, you know, they are my direct reporting lines from a um, board perspective. And then we have a sort of matrix um, reporting line across the board, um, both from in terms of our hub leaders, but also, you know, our regional teams as well, the SLT there. And how many people are in that on that layer? Um, so four on the revenue side, um, Alistair, Nick, Laith, and Mike. Um, and then one, two, three, four, five on the hub side, right. people, finance, insight, success, and marketing, yeah. L&D and operations. Wow. So you, you, you brought in an advisor. Yeah. You got really close to the a CFO. Um, how did then the process start to evolve when it comes to actually engaging with private equity firms? So the first start of it is actually appointing corporate finance. So um, corporate, the advisor that you referenced there was a sort of board advisor. So he was on a freelance basis working with yeah. the business, working with me in terms of just evolving it moving forwards. But what corporate finance do is uh, create a process in terms of pure play investment. Um, so uh, we spoke to a number of different corporate finance um, 
firms and providers, uh, people who have a reputation within both the recruitment industry, but also this expertise in life sciences. And we really needed to blend the two, given that in many ways, I think one of the things that made the process for us as competitive as it was, and the stars aligned definitely from a timing perspective here, is that in many ways, we were seen as a life sciences service provider from an investment perspective, um, rather than a pure play recruitment business. And I think that's one of the big values of being non-generalist. Life science is super buoyant. At that period of time, we were just coming out of a pandemic. Uh, There were other industries, stating the obvious, aviation, events, etc., which were really struggling during that period. Um, And the investment in life sciences was sky high, you know. So actually, private equity, VC, were all really interested in getting into life sciences, even if it was a service provider to the industry as well. And because our brand and our business is really purpose-driven, we were able to kind of leverage um, that and position ourselves, as I say, as a life sciences service provider with this expertise and talent. Any services additional to recruitment, whether it be contingent, RPO, whatever? Is there anything outside of human capital that you do? So it's all human capital centric, I would say. I mean, I hate that's such a private equity word. It basically means people. But, um, you know, talent and people is central to what we do. But actually, the type of service lines are, are becoming more varied. So, you know, it's interesting, we've just launched a new website. And historically, the sort of language on that is that we do perm contract and executive search, whereas that's really archaic now, you know, now it's very much about the type of service. So a couple of things that you mentioned there, MSP, RPO, interim, um, you know, so we've diversified in terms of actually the type of service that we offer as opposed to, you know, typical perm contract executive search. Right. Okay, but there's you see more firms now looking at things like employer brand services. Yeah, so yeah. Are you looking at that as well and thinking about like not actively? At, yeah, not moment. actively at the moment. Um, you know, yeah. one of the, my my overarching vision for the business as we move forward is very much about delivering a business that is a service provider for the life sciences business, and I think that will always be centered in talent. But mm. those type of sort of value added services are definitely part of the roadmap moving forwards as we diversify the service offerings that we have in our repertoire so once you you went through corporate finance how did that then evolve into the next phase so the process in the potted history of of a process so we ran a proper process you know we didn't um you know get an inbound inquiry and just focus but down that route, you know, we did, we really wanted to take the business to market. And the reason that we wanted to take the business to market is I wanted to get a real sense of what life could be like post-investment. You know, one of the challenges with an MBO is that you've got shareholders or stakeholders that have probably got different mentalities and different Mm. visions. You know, I, of course, wanted the business to be valued um, fairly. I wanted it to be um, uh, representative of the success that we'd have over the years. But actually, the most important thing for me and the team was what life would be like after that transaction, both in terms of um, 
relationship with a potential investor, but also what those returns could be further down the line as well. So, um, you know, I wanted to run a process to get a really broad view of what that could look like. Um, and, and again, I think, you know, in many ways, the stars aligned that it was a really competitive process. We had lots of interest in the business. We had I maybe did about 15 conversations with interested private equity partners at the beginning. Um, in the first round, we had six offers. We then brought that down to four. We had four final offers at um, the end of the process of which we then made the decision. How many, how many meetings do you have with it? Like oh, it's relentless. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely. Absolutely relentless. I make a joke that I think going through a transaction is a little bit like giving birth. At the time, you're like, I'm never doing this again. Yeah. It's absolutely hideous. Um, it's, to it's too much. It's impossible. I can't do it. And then just afterwards, you can look back at it and think, oh, it was empowering. And yeah, it was exactly. all of these things. It's a bit like that running a process. You know, from when I spoke to you really in that June period, we were peak in the process at that point. Um, and, you know, that continued right the way through the summer. And, you know, I was working like an absolute dog, you know, l l like I, I never have, like right. I never, ever have. So, you know, and, and there's lots to do. The due diligence process is grueling not because they are finding holes in the business they just want to understand yeah. what it's about um the interface with advisors is there ever a you question know, you got where you thought where did that come like was there yeah, anything that, all the time yeah all the give time. us an example of like a, a something they wanted to know that you're like where did that come from? Oh, some of it was all about you know they were really interested in in what our market share was and it's like it's just impossible to yeah. deduce, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You, you can pay because if you think there's so many parts of the process as well. So you're engaging with corporate finance, you know, the director who worked at the corporate finance firm that I worked with has become, you know, I joked throughout the process that I was upgrading him to a friend and I have, yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah. a, he's a great guy. And we, you know, we spoke every single day for six months often at length and had very heated challenging conversations sometimes so um but you know you're working with huge amount of lawyers from both sides both private equity and also your sort of sell side um you're working with strategy houses that are doing some of the due diligence work um you know you're working with tax advisors you know it is a enormous process and the fees are phenomenal like you know they, they just start to be numbers on a spreadsheet as opposed to actually amounts of money because yeah. they just are so it's so huge you know yeah. it's 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 a, it's a big process it's a serious process so how did you find um, running the business at the same time did did, did that like what so it kind of find... goes back to what I was talking about before is that it's so important you've got a brilliant team because with the best will in the world, you can't, I, I believe you can't do both. And we actually traded incredibly well during that period. So we look, we, we were looking at figures February to February. We then gave an update in the June, which was significant growth from an EBITDA level. Mm. Um, and actually, when we finished the year, we were almost double what we thought we were going to deliver at that half point in the year. Wow. So the business traded incredibly during that period. Um, and that's just thanks to my leadership team you know because I wasn't heavily involved in the performance of the business during that period of time because Steve and I were very much at the coal face of getting this transaction across the line.
I'm interrupting today's episode to bring you a message from our sponsor, Vincere. Vincere is the all-in-one recruitment platform for the most innovative recruitment agencies on the planet. And they've put together a free CRM buyer's guide for you to read because so many recruitment leaders are looking to upgrade CRMs. But before you sign the contract, be sure to read the terms at least twice. There's so many common traps you need to watch out for. So not understanding the pricing model is one that always comes up. Discounts limited to only the first year of a contract length is something that companies will throw. What are monthly contracts all about? Could this mean flexibility for the vendor to raise the price in the future? And how is your data hosted? Where is it? Is it anything outside your country? And could it mean compliance and legal issues for you down the line? So you will see the web address to get that right next to this episode Wherever you're watching this episode, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's Apple, Spotify, YouTube, just look below. You'll see the link, click the link and get that free guide. You will not regret learning all of these hacks before making your decision and locking yourself into a new contract with a new supplier. Wow. Was there ever a moment you thought it might not happen? Uh-huh. Many. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do yeah. you deal I never- with it? personally like, how do you deal and do with you it? know what I talked I talked about this I was involved in um, a panel with the American Staffing Association recently and you know I talked uh, I think before I said that you know one of the great things about being part of a business that is um, evolving is that the experience is totally different and you're learning something new but I went from having zero understanding and exposure of the finance world really I didn't know the legalities. I didn't know the operational considerations. I didn't understand the dynamics of tax across the US and the UK and Germany. So the learning curve on the way through is absolutely unbelievable. And I've never experienced imposter syndrome like it. You know, it was because I, and I actually working with a coach, you know, I, I had to really reframe how I saw it because you know, you're surrounded by Oxbridge grads, super intelligent, um, high expertise advisors that you are surrounded by that are looking to you (laughs) to make decisions in terms of how you evolve, um, you know, that process and how you drive it forward to ultimately reach that transaction. And I had to really change my mindset on it because at times I was like, why are they asking me? I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know the dynamics. I'm the least qualified person in the room. But actually, I really shifted some mindset working with my coach there, which was, you know, I've engaged these people who are definitely considerably higher IQ than me, have been in these environments a million times before. But I've engaged them to educate me in whatever way they need to so that I can make decisions. And instead of feeling that imposter syndrome of they are another level to me, actually, I changed that. Give me an example of a decision you have to make that that you instantly felt like legality structures in terms of you know when you essentially we totally changed ownership of the business and therefore there are multiple ways that all of the stakeholders have to interact Mm. in order to make sure that the business is protected fundamentally so you know a lot of it was just in terms of how things were structured um, you know how we created a share structure moving forward that was both fair and right for management 
but delivered the returns for our investors as well. So a lot of it is sort of structural complexities. Right. Um, the, the only person that can make the decision is you as chief exec, but you're coming from a period of learning where however many weeks or months ago, you had no idea what you were yeah, going into or understanding. Yeah. So, so what were you looking for? You've mentioned it was as much important to you about obviously getting a good price and, and mm-hmm. all of that, but actually it was really important about the vision. What were you, what were the kind of things you wrote down to say, this yeah. is the partner for us? What were you looking for when you went out to, to, yeah. to speak to multiple, multiple options? I think it's a really, really good point because when you start looking into private equity, which is the route that I went, you hear absolute horror stories in terms of them over leveraging the business, stripping out management teams, um, you know, all of the sort of old school 1980s banking reputation that exists within um, the sector and the industry. And there's definitely some truth in it. You know, there's no question that um, private equity as an institution are an investment institution. They are responsible for delivering returns to their investors and therefore do a lot of work to make sure the businesses they are investing in are ones that can scale and that can grow and therefore will create value creation. So there's not total untruths with it, but my experience, certainly of mid, mid-market private equity, is that it's much more relationship-centric than the reputation precedes um, it, really. So what I wanted is to create a future-facing board that were aligned from a vision perspective wanted the same things remembering what I said before is that the board that we had beforehand and this again is not a criticism at all just had different views and ambitions so actually moving into an environment where everybody was pushing in the same direction in terms of the opportunity in front of us was really important to me Um, It sounds really basic, but I just needed them to be good human beings. You know, I remember talking to um, Anton, you know, one day and, and, you know, I said the reality of the situation as we go into this transaction is that it's likely that I would like to think that myself and my husband would have another baby during the period of transaction. And here I am nearly seven months pregnant. So that's become a reality. And also my mum was really unwell. And, um, you know, she is stable at the moment. But at some point, that will not be the case. And we will go through, you know, that process that many other people go through, which is a, you know, daunting, but what happens in life, you know, so I needed to make sure that I was surrounding myself just by good people that were like-minded, human, understood the dynamics of um, business, both from a financial and fiscal performance perspective, but actually just from a people perspective. How do you well. figure that out though? Like, because you spend loads of time with them. Is that what it is? You, yeah, um, yeah, ultimately. And I think, you know, there were a couple of private equity companies that we were talking to that on paper looked great, but they weren't forthcoming with the information in terms of actually who would be sitting on my board. Hmm. Whereas if I looked at the way that North Edge handled the process, the people that I was in touch with from the first meeting right the way through that process are now people that sit in a board with me on a monthly basis that I call up to bounce ideas 
ideas off and have discussions and updates with. So, you know, partly is just experience of spending time with them, but partly it's about the sort of ethos of the business and, and their acceptance of the ethos of the business. You know, my goal in a partner was that the vision would be aligned that we want to deliver growth and value creation but not at the cost of the culture so you know I don't want to lead a bums on seats recruitment organization Mm. it's not who I am it's not the the uh, way I get professional satisfaction Um, but I have a responsibility to deliver growth, not only for me and my family, but also for the wider shareholders as well. So I think it was really talking through that vision and assessing the responses and the understanding and the questions that you got that gave me confidence that, you know, there were people that were just like minded in terms of where we were taking the business moving forwards. Amazing. So where... Paint the picture of where you were when it when it finally completed. Tell us what tell us what's going on that. So I don't know why I've not spoken to anybody. So so this year I've been involved in the EY Entrepreneur of the Year process, which is essentially a um, you know a networking opportunity yeah. for you to engage with um, fellow um, founders, entrepreneurs, business people that you know are taking their businesses on varying different journeys. And you know, for, through the network that I've created there, it is always the case that these things go on and on and on. You know, my sister's a lawyer as well, and I remember her saying to me, she was like, "You won't close on that day." So. Essentially, we thought we were ready to go on the Thursday morning. Um, we went to the corporate finance office, myself and Steve and, and Will, who we were working with um, there. We were essentially waiting for the lawyers to do the do, you know, to get all of the documentation ready. Yeah. Because of COVID, it was on DocuSign. You know, yeah. back in the day, it used to be rooms of paper that you walk around and sign, whereas everything that we did was yeah. on DocuSign um, as well. Um we were going all day on the Thursday. We were briefed that we would just go through the night on the Thursday night, and at some point we would complete. Um, I then had a conversation with the partner of the law firm on the other side, who were like at, late on the Thursday evening. It's quite a funny story, actually, because Will, who worked at our corporate finance uh, business, and Steve, our, our CFO, had just had their second double espresso when we were told that there was no point staying awake and that we should go to bed and (laughs) and start again tomorrow. I was there with my peppermint tea, very grateful. So then we went to bed on the Thursday night, got back up about five o'clock in the morning on the Friday and then again went all day on the Friday and it's just going backwards and forwards between the sides really. You know, the lawyers are doing their do, the advisors are checking that all of the information is per um, the spreadsheets that have been put together in terms of how that process should flow. Um, And then we actually closed at about nine o'clock on Friday night. We were in Rocker on Charlotte Street. Um, It was amazing. It was honestly amazing. So I was so emotional. Just the three of you. So emotional. Um so it was Nella REA who was witnessing everything. Yeah, Yeah, she's she's a hero. Um James, who's our board advisor. Um and then actually there were quite a few of the business that were around on lunch clubs and stuff that came to come and join us. So it was a mega experience. You know, for me it was a culmination of 
a year's work. Like I said, I was really, really emotional. I felt absolutely confident that we'd got the right right partner, you know, and it was the sort of first time that myself and the shareholders within the business at that period of time had realized significant benefit from the investment that we had in the business moving forward so um yeah it was amazing it was a, it was a brilliant experience and i think more importantly again that's the childbirth thing i'm able to say it was a brilliant experience now but at the time i was like oh god i need to go to bed i'm dead um but you know the, the thing that i'm most proud about it is that i can sit here a year on and say that the experience has been exactly what I hoped. We've appointed a new chair who's unbelievable, really. He's non-recruitment background, an incredible businessman, doesn't miss a trick, very interesting in terms of his input, you know, and that's been a great learning experience for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, My relationship with our investors is brilliant. You know, they are um, interested, interesting, soft touch when we need them to be involved when we don't, you know, so it's just been a really brilliant What, what is it like? Like what, what, what is the reality of, of, of the, beyond that day? Did you, I mean, do you have yeah. any time off or anything after that? Did you go on a holiday? <laughs> so, I, do you know what? We were going to go on holiday. Um, but for, for one reason or another, bear in mind during that process, my husband had literally run our home yeah I bet yeah my life looked after our child you know he he is a hero in this as well so she was she's two and a half now so she's three in November so she was little you know um you know he it, it it was a team effort for absolutely sure you know I was really I wouldn't say I wasn't present because it was really important for me to continue to be involved in family life, but you're naturally distracted a lot of the time. And I was working super long hours, you you know, towards the end. London a lot as well. Um, Yeah, I did do some stuff in London, but it was thick in COVID really. So a lot of the time we were at home, which was highs and lows, you know, it's, there was benefits to it, but you know, there was no boundaries. So I would wake at two o'clock in the morning and start work, you know, because I couldn't sleep. So, um, you know, things that I look back on as probably deeply unhealthy, as well as, you know, something there. So um, I can't remember what question was. Beyond uh, the point was, did you go on holiday? Oh yeah, so we didn't. We we were going to go on holiday. We didn't in the end. We actually, I did have some time off. I just hung out with, um, you know, with my daughter and my husband, and saw family and various different celebrations and 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 stuff like that. So, um, and then we actually went away in the new year. So right. yeah, we did. We did a week away then. So you said before that your your job as the chief exec now is totally different. Mm-hmm. Like, in what way? Let's break that down a little bit. So it's not. I probably. It's not totally different in that there aren't um, uh, similarities. You know, I see my job as delivering a uh, vision that allows the business to create value without detrimentally affecting the culture. That's the simple way of looking at what I do. Um, So, you know, I have responsibilities now to our investors, obviously. So, um, as I said, it's pretty soft touch, but, you know, create the creation of the board pack is a 
different um, structure than it was historically. Yeah, we have a board meeting monthly. They're Mm. brilliant meetings. They're really forward Is that all in person for a day or so? Predominantly in person, yeah. Yeah. And they're sort of two, three hours or something like that. Um, So that, you know, that's a part of the process. Um, I'm increasingly doing sort of more work um, from a potential acquisition perspective um, as well. So, you know, one of the benefits of being private equity backed is that you have deeper pockets, I suppose. So, you know, I'm looking at how we could potentially complement the business moving forwards from a M&A perspective. And that's quite a big chunk of my time. It's really exciting. Um, You know, I am, um, you know, responsible for sort of ongoing wider um, considerations. So as an example, we've um, just done because it was the year anniversary from the transaction, we've just done another tranche of shareholding allocations within the business. So a group of about 20, 25 people um, that are now also shareholders of the business moving forwards. So, you know, essentially have been um, given some equity out of a predefined pot that was agreed as part of the transaction, um, which means that as we go on this journey of value creation, um, they will benefit from the success of the business you know outside of their paycheck essentially Um, you know and and that's you've got to work with lawyers and advisors and tax experts and everybody in order to be able to bring that to a reality so um, you know again there's sort of those bigger ticker ticket items that didn't exist before that you know now are much more prevalent in what I do. And you've grown as we said by like 95 heads in that Mm -hmm. time Um, Mm -hmm. and you mentioned you know you've you've doubled your back office, but there's still a yeah. lot of fee earners gone into yeah. the business there. So what's been the strategy? You mentioned this academy model. How have yeah. you how have you evolved the the headcount across the the salespeople in the business? So that has continued, that academy model and our people and learning and development function work really closely together to make sure that people are being brought into the business in that kind of cohort model, essentially, and that's across all locations. Um, you know, We are hiring not only at that graduate level, but we're also bringing people into the business that, you know, have got varied experience that would again complement what we're doing overall. Um, you know, and I think we we really believe that we're a great home for experienced, tenured recruiters now who are looking for an opportunity to join a business that is genuinely um, on a really exciting path in terms of value creation and and therefore like I said before returns outside of paycheck as well so we're doing quite a lot of work in as I said complementing the workforce that we've got so that we have both a internally meritocratic structure but also the ability to be able to scale and grow the business with people with slightly different skill sets so how are you finding how are you finding that as a because that is the biggest challenge right that's every recruitment agency wants those great people from competitors but yeah really great people are usually being treated well so what yeah totally it's it's really challenging it's it's there is no question that it's difficult to achieve and actually I would include that sort of graduate model in there as well um we have pretty high standards um we've again I see my role as creating a high value business where the culture isn't detrimentally affected um, and therefore we have to really look into 
our hiring processes and making sure that we're creating communities of people that are aligned in terms of values, but also, you know, diverse from a background perspective. So, yeah. It is challenging. I think one of the benefits that we have as an organization is that, you know, we are in the life sciences industry, hence the branding behind me yeah, in the meeting yeah, yeah. room. Um, you know, it, it is a there's never been a better time to be part of this industry from a cyclicality perspective. We've had quite a few people that have maybe joined us from different backgrounds. Um NHS, um, energy, that type of stuff that, you know, are really enjoying the opportunity to work in uh, the end market in which we're focused. So I think that's a USP for the business as well. Um, High high growth, high margin. It's also really, I think it's really, it's rewarding. It's a rewarding sector. Like you're not, you know, you're doing things to benefit humans, 100%. 100%. You know, the, the 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 sort of tagline of the business that we work with now is that life sciences affects us all. Yeah. And, and that's the truth of it. You know, everybody in the world is interested in health and wellness mm. in some capacity. Um, you know, and actually understanding what our clients do, be it the sort of tech side of it or, you know, the pure play drug development is totally fascinating. You know, so there is a there is a uh stimulus there which you know i'm not saying doesn't exist in other organizations but i think is a big usp for people joining and genuinely wanting to be part of an industry where you know they make a difference you know we are building the teams for the future of global health you know that's the part that we play in the jigsaw puzzle of things that have become much much more real particularly having lived through a pandemic so I think that's a big USP for us as well and we've just got to keep on working on our employer value proposition the training and development that we offer to people that have got um, you know experience as a recruiter that want to go down a business development or a leadership path um, and just continue to make an environment where you know people can flourish and bring their whole selves to work and that's what I'm committed to deliver for people joining the business as well. When you said you've said it on numerous occasions that you know the growth of the business won't be uh, um, at the cost of the culture so how would you describe the culture like and what what's the DNA that you that you look for in people whether they be graduates or experienced people? So One of the things that has been interesting as being part of a private equity-backed business is there's been much more noise and focus around ESG. So looking at factors like environmental, social governance. And naturally, as a people business, we've always thought a lot about DNI in terms of the service that we provide to our client base, the um, Uh, inclusion strategies that we have internally to make sure that we're a business where, as I referenced just before, people can truly bring their whole whole selves to work. But actually, you know, ESG is a really big part of um, value creation in businesses now, you know, running businesses where there is a sustainability lens on it is increasingly important and is moving away from being a box ticking exercise to actually something that's really crucial from a culture perspective as well. So, you know, I think, you know, we not dissimilar to many, you know, high growth recruitment organizations, you know, we look for people that are 
highly driven, highly motivated, want to create um, a fulfilling career that is high performance and high reward. That's the sort of core, um, you know, focus there. But actually, we're really interested in people that want to be part of something bigger than that. So um, involved in our culture communities that we have right the way through the business, involved in some of the business that we do from a um, green perspective you know we're looking a lot at net zero at the moment and how we can um, improve our emissions as a business that contribute to the greater good of just um, the environment and the work that needs to go into the environment for future generations so I think it's that blend of we want the of course the high performance high reward high motivation career centric traits that make people really successful but actually also what we give is an environment where people can bring their whole selves to work and be involved in things that historically maybe have been perceived as extracurricular but actually now are just part of creating a really high value organization and high value business I love it what what have you done around the working practices post COVID so when we when we met we were we were kind of out of COVID, then we went back into COVID yeah. at the end of last year. Yeah. There, was, there, was, there was still, I mean, I truly feel like we've we've moved on. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. We, again, I don't want to speak too soon because the winter yeah. is, the is approaching. <laughs> yeah. um, it seems like we've got other challenges at the minute. What what do you feel in terms of keeping your um, keeping your staff motivated, making sure yeah. that people have that, like say, bring your whole self? Yeah. How do you operate from a working practice? Where do people live and sit and work? What's the What's the kind of DNA of that? So all our offices are open, you know, so there's not, we've got uh, San Francisco, San Diego, New York, London, and Berlin. So all of those offices are open 100% of the time. Where we've sort of landed, I would say, across all locations is this sort of three-day, two-day split. I am a huge supporter of flexibility and against presenteeism as part of a business culture. I however really value community and I think one of the benefits of being in a high growth organization is that you can surround yourself with really ambitious like-minded people that create energy and Mm. make you feel part of something so we do have employees who work 100% remotely um, across all different locations um, in the world Um, but I would say on average we've kind of landed on this three-day two-day model Um, and there's flexibility based on people's individual needs and the role that they're doing as well so um you know, and, and look, I think COVID was a nightmare in lots of ways. You know, my business traded incredibly well during the period. And I am really, really grateful for that because I don't think I certainly didn't feel the pain from a commercial perspective that lots of other people did. Um, but I think one thing that's come out of it is an acceptance across business that people can be productive working from home you know it's not it's not uh, something that should be looked down on no. um you know and i look at my personal experience and thinking i returned back to work after a maternity leave in a much more flexible working environment than i probably left and i can see that that's really positively benefited my family and it's not been at the cost of the business so yeah. you know i think that's where and we will continue that way you know i'm 
I won't lead the business back into a, um, you know, five day a week, got to be at Odeska, 8.35, model. I don't think there's huge value in that. But we also will be a business that values community and being part of something because, you know, I look at my 20s and my 30s and I think of what value I got from the people I surrounded myself with. And, you know, I want the same for the people joining our business now as well. Yeah, for sure. Moving, I've got two final points I want to make. So the the first is around the economic um, reality. So this season, I'm not, I don't want this to be all about recession, but I do want to talk about the fact that, you know, we are sat here now at the back end of Q3, approaching Q4. um, And there's there's a hell of a lot of noise about a recession and the fact that, you know, we are officially in a recession. I don't even know if we are at this, this stage, but what, what are you honestly seeing as the chief exec? Mm-hmm. When you look at your numbers, when you look at the business, UK and, and internationally, what is anything changing? What give us some of the kind of headlines that you see from a yeah. you know performance perspective? Mm-hmm. And do you see anything changing in the in the in the near future? Um there is absolutely no doubt, I believe, that there is a normalization going on in end markets right across the board. Yeah. And I use that word normalization very intentionally because we have worked, in my opinion, in the most buoyant market where the war for talent has been unprecedented over the last 18 months, two years. Mm. You know, it couldn't continue. And in many ways, it shouldn't continue because there will be longer term uh, downsides to that level of talent and war for talent there as well. So we are seeing more caution than we've seen over the last 18 months. Um, By caution, I mean just a little bit more considered in terms of recruitment processes. We've still got a high proportion of our clients that are hiring. We've got still building a client base of people that are new to us, um, that are also, you know, being invested in and considerably growing. So there's no turn off, but I think it would be ill-informed to say that there isn't this sort of caution, correction, normalization that's going on in the markets at the moment. I think that's also been paralleled with, particularly here in the UK, and I think it's softening now, the sort of anxiety and nervousness around cost of living, which has obviously come out of the energy prices in the war as well. And I think a combination of the two can create an awful lot of noise that maybe isn't necessarily needed from a response perspective as well. You know, and I think there's both sides. One thing that I, I spoke to someone the other day and they talked about their permanent, this is a technology recruitment firm, not as big as yours, but of, of size. Um, and their, their UK perm is 50% down in terms of vacancies, right? So my question is, what do you do in that situation when it does, like normalization? So you've got to compare it to 2019, really. Mm-hmm. You can't compare it mm-hmm. to 2021 because that was bonkers. Mm-hmm. But what do you do when, when your recruiters get used to a certain level of performance? Mm-hmm. When everyone gets used to a certain level of jobs, certain level of deals, like there's million. I've seen a, a business Oscar Associates yesterday promoting five million pound billers and two of them are in their first year in recruitment i've never mm. heard that in my life right no, mad. So, 
what happens when the market changes and it becomes mm-hmm. normal? It's still yeah. not, we're not talking about recession and, and depths of despair, but we're talking mm-hmm. about human beings and business mm-hmm. leaders and consultants that are so used to this level of activity. How do you manage that expectation change? As an, and, and also as a, as a business leader, you're getting used to seeing your numbers. If you've got a PE firm, especially check-in mm-hmm. as well, like what, what happens there? It, it is the ultimate challenge at the moment, isn't it? You know, if you think the numbers that you talked about before in terms of a growth uh, trajectory that we've been on, therefore what it, that it means is that a high percentage of the people that work in our business have only ever worked in that incredibly buoyant market. Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to feel like a downturn. That's just the facts of the situation. I think really all you can do and what we're really focusing on at the moment is controlling the controllables. We can't change the macro conditions. We can't change energy prices. We can't change the investment backdrop into biotech moving forwards. But what we can do is look into how we interact with our clients, with our candidates, and look at the pro- the recruitment process that we're working to and really focus on where we can control the controllables from a process perspective. So we've started to create project teams that work right across the business globally that are going to look at sort of certain key factors that will bring together thinking, not just on your team or in your office, but actually in terms of the larger global business to try and create a new education on how we need to react and behave with a forward-facing mentality. And I think the key thing in any recruitment business, and this is what I've been very vocal about with our leadership teams, is this cannot and should not feel like a punishment to people. You know, if we are creating teams and environments where people are comparing their performance in a super, super buoyant market to a market that is more normalized and, um, you know, the management or the leadership of the business is, you know, creating negative communication about those trends, then you're going to create big cultural challenges, I think. So this is about us saying, we didn't do anything wrong before, we didn't do anything particularly right before, we just behaved in the way that suited those market conditions at that moment in time, and it delivered significant growth and profitability. We're now in a slightly different world and we've got to behave differently. And it's not a punishment from what's gone before. It's just a different way of thinking. So at the top, way of have, you got, have you got to realize, realign your expectations at the top then of what good looks like? And, yeah, and, and we had that yeah. in line anyway. You know, I've not, bu- I've not budgeted for the same level of growth this year as I did last. But I reckon businesses have. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> so but, many know, leaders have gone, well, if you did... 350 last year or yeah. whatever. like we want to see 450 and look budgeting is incredibly difficult at the moment what is normal what yeah. is good um you know what can we expect in terms of contribution per head you know within the business it's tough you know it's one of the biggest challenge i think of being um you know a, an exec within a recruitment organization at the moment is where should we set our aspirations so you know i think there's an understanding in our business that the level of growth that we've seen over the last 18 months isn't going to be 
replicated year in, year out moving forwards. Um, but we are equally an ambitious business that is focused on value creation and the journey to continue to improve the business is one that we're committed to. So it's finding that balance between the two, yeah. I think. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of people panicking and changing, like, you know, like you say, that that negative energy will come out in a lot of yeah. people. It's, yeah. it's a shame, but it, it will. Um, and then my final question then. So where where are you heading now? So, you, you know, you, you're at 230 people. Mm-hmm. You're a year into the the, the, the new um, new new business. What What's the future look like? Let's say if we were, whether we, bring, whether we have another interview in a year or so, we'll see. But yeah. let's, say, let's say we did two years down the line. What would you predict could could be, could be the position you'll be in there? So we've still got this significant opportunity in order to be able to grow in the sectors that we are in at the moment. So, you know, the if you look at the client-based opportunity in the DAC region or you look at the client-based opportunity on the east or the west coast or across Europe, we're still scratching the surface in terms of what's possible. So from my perspective, it's about continually to organically grow the business so that we take advantage of the growth of the end markets that we work in as well. You know, as I said before, I'm not driven by headcount numbers from a vanity perspective. You know, ultimately what I want to make sure is that we continue to grow, but do it in a way that's considered and means that we've got enough investment in leadership so that individuals aren't exposed and that professional development is core to who we are and what we do. Um, as well. Um, You know, as I said before, you know, we've now got a sort of organic plan and a potential um, outside of organic plan opportunity within M&A as well. Um, You know, and I think I would really like to um, achieve a successful integration that would mean that we can diversify the business moving forwards as well. Would would that be likely in the next few years, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think so. Now that Um, the process is, the process this has got rose tinted glasses now (laughs) yeah yeah but you know we are ahead of plan from an investment perspective Mm -hmm. um you know private equity cycles of investment are typically three to five years um you know therefore we're a year down so Mm -hmm. you know if you look at that sort of generic um, expectation in terms of what happens in private equity um i'm really you know i want to continue on this um uh, path to take market share, deliver value to our stakeholders, management included, really crucially management included. And that includes the new tranche of shareholders that we just allocated over the last couple of weeks, deliver value and also create an environment where people feel um, included and rewarded as well. Um, and then for me personally, it's this balance that I've got to strike at all times, which is, you know, enjoy the journey create um, professional satisfaction and and challenge and uh, reward in the way that I'm wired from a growth personal growth perspective um, but do it so that it's not at the cost of my family you know Mm. so I've got another maternity leave um, coming up so um, you know navigating that you have some time you'll have time off completely yeah yeah Yeah. um I will I will take some time off you know I think it's um it's important you know Uh, I've got a great team um I don't worry about the um business 
in my absence. It takes a bit of planning and making sure that there is clarity and communication in terms of who's responsible to what for what. But yeah, the beginning of next year is that next year I'm going to try and invest in my family as much as possible wow. and navigate becoming a mum of two. So wow. well, see how it goes. I wish you the best of luck. I mean, I'm Thank I'm you. now the stepdad of two, and. Um, Hopefully we'll be, you know, we'd, love to have, we'd love to have our own child next year. So it could be three, two dogs, new house. It's all, it's all go. It's that all is go. all go. Yeah, yeah that, that is all go. The biggest, I mean, observing two for a year is, I mean, it's, it's amazing that they interact together and they've got, they've got each mm. other and it is, mm. you know, it's mm. incredible, but the, mm. I think it's interesting the decision to have a second baby because a lot of it was a was a my daughter's called Ivy a lot of it was about Ivy it was like Mm. I I love my sister Marcus's was one of four you Mm. know siblings are a really important part of who we are in our life and you know I wanted to give that to Ivy as well but then of course you're pregnant you're like how will she be and will she feel left out and what's the period of time when I've got a good age I think what two and a half years in three years yeah Yeah, I was I had a brother who was two years older than me and a, and a brother three years younger than me. And I think yeah. Yeah, that was a good age gap. I think yeah. just watching the two, though, it's hilarious how, like, you'll always find when one's high, one's low. Like, the, as soon as one of them's in a, in a bad place, for a, it could be a ridiculous reason, the other one will, will suddenly perk up. And they're, like, they're brilliant. They're, like, they, they become an angel instantly when they uh-huh. – so, like, you rarely get them both like you know in, yeah. the, in the same and like motion it's, it's hilarious but it is i mean it's amazing it's truly rewarding but hannah we've done an hour and nearly an hour and 15 minutes yeah, i want to say time. thank you so much for your thank time you i too. mean this was um another level of episode i believe the first one was brilliant got to know you we heard a, you know a really in-depth story of, of the 12 years but this is this kind of explains a lot. So yeah. thanks for giving a bit us less that. cloak and dagger. I hope. I think so. I, think so. <laughs> um, I imagine there'll still be people that will want to talk to you and have questions. Mm-hmm. And and I hope you, you know if they reach out to you via LinkedIn, you'll, um, you'll take that time. And I yeah. look, I would love to have you back on in the future. This show isn't going anywhere. Like you say, I mean, it's not. This isn't my business. I have the business, but this yeah. is part of the business where there's no end date of this. I love it so much. I, I'd yeah. love to see you know where you're going to go in the future. So thank you so Brilliant. much. Okay. Thanks, Sean. Take care. Awesome. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn that's how to brand themselves that's how to produce content that's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business we're coaching people all over the world every single day if any of that sounds of interest please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me Sean Anderson a personal message on LinkedIn and would love to talk to you I'll see you soon